everybody welcome to the 212th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in beaverton oregon and we have a very special guest who's been telling us all of these crazy stories i mean we have (laughs) one of the og deep in the game blazer collectors steve davies thank you for joining us you might know him by his moniker on twitter at blazer collector when you take that moniker and that handle you better have some grails and steve does uh steve thank you so much for for joining us on on this afternoon um right off the bat what what got you into the blazers how did you become a fan we all have our our fan stories what got you into the blazers before collecting and then how did becoming a fan really spark your your drive to just collect so much rare and incredible pieces of team history. Well, guys, happy to be here, Dustin, Sage. Thank you very much. Uh, I was 10 years old when the Blazers started in 1970. I lived over in Hazeldale. We had, you know, the typical... 70s to late 60s, 70s neighborhood. There were about 15 of us kids. We ran around. We played every sport by the season. Being in, you know, the Portland area, though, we didn't have a major league sport of any type. We had the Portland Beavers, and, you know, that was it. So when the Blazers came along, this was a big deal to us kids. And I tended towards basketball early. My dad had played. So we'd go over to the games and, you know, you could walk up to the ticket office night of the game, buy a ticket, sit down low. And there were only a couple thousand people there. And that just sparked my interest. And just being a kid, I had started collecting sports cards same year. Whatever they had down at Little Corner Convenience Store, I bought 10 cents pack, brought home. So the Blazers came along. It was another avenue. I was kind of at the time writing letters. I somehow got a hold of addresses for all the sports teams, every sport. I was writing letters to all. And they were sending back things, you know, pocket schedules, pictures, tickets, even autographs. The Blazers sent back little windows cling sticker. That did it. You know, I mean, it was the Blazers anyway, but that sticker was the first collectible in the collection, it's still, it's behind me here on the shelf. Um, Picked up a little magnet at Fred Meyer, same year. Little team logo magnet. Those two things started the whole thing. And from that point on, it was just whatever you could find in the stores. And there wasn't a lot of items available. You'd walk in and sure, you'd find a sticker. If you went to the right bank, you could get a pocket schedule. But nobody thought to keep those. Um, You didn't go into a footlocker. You didn't go on NBA.com in 1971 and order up your jersey and shorts and what you're wearing to the game. Me being that kid, 10 years old, it was just the right age. 
followed them all the way through. By the time we got to 76, I mean, I'm a cognizant 16-year-old kid. I'm watching college basketball, you know, 70, 73. They get Bill. My God, I can picture where I was when the coin flipped. And I, so we knew we had something good, or at least a lot of us, some of us did, even in 76. Um, but you still, you didn't have a lot of collectibles. The Blazers hadn't been a real successful team up to that point. Once the championship happened, it exploded. You just, whatever you wanted, <laughs> you just printed it up and you stamped NBA champions on it and you threw it in the stores and it sold. And that's the wall you see behind me here is that's all related to first year or championship or the oh so close years of 1992. That kind of really got me going. I had all the sports cards up to that point. You had one option, tops. I had the, some game programs. I had a couple of little black and white eight by tens I'd gotten through the team. You could order those for a buck a, buck a piece. But once the championship hit, I mean, if you were here, you, you know what Blazer Mania is. I mean, there was a quarter million people on the streets of Portland when they won, when they had the parade. You went into any store, you picked it up, you had it. From that point, that's where you see a lot of collections start. The, the earlier items were around, but nobody thought to collect them, not even the team. Um, but when the internet hit, that changed the ballgame. I found out that, you know, I didn't have to rely on... <laughs> what was here in the stores. I started scouting out collectible shops literally around the country, online auctions and all. I started finding jerseys. I mean, game worn jerseys to me, that was, I mean, a shock. So I thought, well, <laughs> these would be cool to have. So the first one I bought, Enos Watley, number eight. I paid like a hundred bucks, 1988 Jersey. And that got me rolling. And then I found another and another. And pretty soon I found the company that used to come into Portland and they would buy everything. There were companies out there that would literally buy everything. They, so they'd meet up with the team. They'd write them a check, you know, $30,000. Here's 40 bags of Jersey shorts, warm-ups. They had a ton. <laughs> they liked me for a long time uh, because I would literally just buy dozens of jerseys at once. And for a while, weren't the early jerseys uh, a brand called like Sand Knit? Yes. They were actually made by Willamette Athletic over on Sandy. And there was a lady who did all the stitching from year one. I mean, she stitched the names on them. You know, they made them right here in Portland. I used to go over there once I got my driver's license. Every Saturday, I drove over from, at the time, Brush Prairie Battleground. I'd drive to Sandy, to Willamette Athletic, and I'd go through their racks. Maybe there's a blank. Maybe. Nope. Never. Never was. Those jerseys are near impossible to find. 
anything prior to 77, 78. They're just, anything is gold because nobody thought to keep them. So they ended up with players. They ended up with family. In some cases, they don't even exist any longer because you had a player on the team that got traded off in November or waived, and here comes the next guy in, and he grabs same number, and the name came off the old jersey. Name went on the new jersey. That guy's jersey's gone. <laughs> You'll never find it. So the game has changed a lot. Now, with the game warns, of course, the players have so many options, and they have, they're given so many a year. Prior to the 80s, 90s, these guys got basically two road, two home jerseys a year. That's it. Make them last. Thank you. Oh, and we're going to use them next year. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. You look at the protocols now. If a player gets blood on their jersey, that's got to come off or it's got to be cleaned. Uh, we've seen LeBron rip off the sleeves of his jersey before. You have to right? have multiple multiple jerseys and we've seen like Dennis Rodman we've seen other players just throw them in the stands after they're they're done uh winning a big game so you can't you can't that just doesn't make any sense anymore that's why no they're so rare the further back you get just they're just the, the quantity wasn't there no the quantity wasn't there and again like I say nobody thought to keep them and the teams especially and I know a lot of people that work for the teams that look at them now and they're like, oh, you're kidding. No, no, but to them, it's part of the job. And that's the way I, you kind of have to step back because people say, well, why didn't they keep it? Well, why would they? To them, it was a part of the job. It's the same as a towel. I mean, if you work at an insurance agency and Rick Adelman came in and he signed a car insurance, and did you save the pen? <laughs> No, it's part of your job. I still have a pen Bill Walton signed his first autograph with, but I'm a whole different story. <laughs> you're, just a, you're just a different dude when it comes to collecting. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what, why it is, but once I started finding things, I had to keep it quiet. And that was the hardest part of this whole thing. Is for 20 years, literally, I'm buying all this stuff up and nobody knows it. Because had they found out, the prices would have gone up. Smart. And I, I couldn't afford that. I, I, once I started picking up in bulk these jerseys, that's when I kind of got the idea that, you know, I'd like to have a really cool collection. And to me, really cool would be to have one autographed item and one game-worn item for every player in the team's history. You know, and this is in 90, so, the, you know, all right. The game-worn, I know, is a pipe dream right out of the chute because some of those just don't exist anymore. But if I keep that as a goal, I'm going to grab everything I can grab. I've been, To this point, I mean, I've the game-worns are gone now. Once I amassed them, I had over 300 game-worn jerseys. The significant ones went back to the team. The ones the team didn't want went to collectors that I knew weren't you know, the people that were going to sell them off to 
upper deck so they can get cut up and put on a sports card. Mm. You know, these are going to collections are going to stay. And then the rest I just sold. If people wanted jerseys, I had them. And I let them go way too cheap. But it's not about the money as long as I can recover what I put in. God willing. Speaking of jerseys, what is your favorite design the team has worn from 70 to current? I have two, actually. (laughs) The first year. And the first year is unique in that they, of course, didn't have the sash, the colored sash. That didn't come in until after the championship. But the script blazers is at an angle. So it starts lower on the right side and angles up on the left. Second year and beyond, they leveled it out. So I have that first year, which also did not have names on the backs of the jerseys. They didn't do that until the second year. And then the second design is everybody else's who was there was the championship year. It's a two-year design they brought in in 75. It has the vertical blazers, just so simple. And it was gone after the championship. You literally have two shots at it. (laughs) I've only ever had one. It was Lloyd Neal's from the championship game. That went back to the team. I did have Bill's shorts from that year. Those went back to the team. And I had Maurice Lucas's shorts from that year. Those went back to his family. And so when you describe items and obviously making a, a fair transaction back to the team, what goes in what goes into your thought process? Because clearly these are really incredible items to have that, that any fan would want. Is there, are you torn a little bit or are you more of a, a collector where you think an item has a specific home and this was what you thought was best for the item? That Honestly, in a nutshell, that's it. Um, the underlying goal, once I started really amassing things, <laughs> and I, I mean, I got in with some contacts with the team that I was able to pick up mass items at a time. They'd clean out the offices and uh, John White would call me up. He'd say, Steve, what are you doing? Come on over. (laughs) And I'd come home with boxes and boxes of unused game programs. So over the years, I've given those away. But the significant items, once I started finding some of those that I just knew were literally one of a kind, the idea shifted. I mean, it had always been there that someday maybe the team would want this stuff back. You know, Portland is deeply rooted in their <laughs> blazer history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had to convince a few of the management of that. But maybe, just maybe someday they'll want to do something. And I want to be the guy they come to. I want to be the Fred Meyer of Blazer Collectibles. I am your one-stop shopping, guys. Absolutely. And that brings me to my my next question. I've always, you see some organizations, mostly the NFL, they have their own team museums. And uh, as a Blazer fan, 
I want to be able to go to a place and see all of these items, whether it's a starting lineup, it's a rare poster, it's a jersey, everything. And, and the Blazers just don't have that. Is that something that you would want to not necessarily take on, but just be a part of? Like, I think there's a spot in the Rose Quarter for for a museum. Like, I want to go and visit. What internal documents have you seen? No. <laughs> um, that That really was a goal of mine, that I could have a museum. I think I have enough to do that. I know a couple other collectors who have things that obviously I don't. And, you know, we've talked about, yeah, that would be cool. But the reality of it is you the overhead kills you. You know, the team doesn't have the room. And honestly, back in 2013, 14, when they were doing the the remodel at the Moda Center, I worked with them for seven months, back and forth. And we started with that idea. Let's just, what do you have? And let's start there. And can we do a museum? What it came down to was space and budgets. It's it's a fabulous idea to have, but the payoff, it's so hard to fund a museum-type setting. You've got the overhead of the building. You've got the upkeep. You want to be purchasing new items. And Portland's still a small town. You know, don't get me wrong. My family's been here forever and a day. But in the grand scheme of sports... It's a small town, and you have to look at the reality of how many and for how long can, will people pay $10 per person to come and walk through and look at the stuff? Because once you've seen it, you've seen it. And sure, you can do special displays and events like player signings, but that all takes overhead now. And without I mean, you'd have to have a, a solid couple to five million dollars to do it. I don't have that, <laughs> and let's, it's not in the team. Let's get Dame budget. on the horn. Let's get CJ. Damien, <laughs> CJ. You know, honestly, I could never. <laughs> people have asked me that, but I couldn't do that. I I don't ask for anything. I mean, would I love to see a consortium of players come up and say, you know what, dude? You're right. Let's do it. Damien, I used to be in the car business. I know about the dealership. I can help you out. <laughs> so, but the reality is purely economic. The base just isn't there in a museum setting. So the team went a different route. And what they did when they did the remodel, they designated one of the luxury suites. They called it the legacy suite. And we went through and, I mean, literally hand-selected the items that went in there, game-worn jerseys, uh, items that were significant to the team. So that's where you can go, albeit it is a, <laughs> you know, a, a, one of the suites, but you can go there and see the team history. And the jerseys, they had framed very nicely up on the wall. They have a display case. Uh, some of the things that we had on display were the 
1977 Oregon Senate resolution honoring the Trailblazer Championship. We had a letter from the NBA and the actual 50 cent piece that Commissioner Kennedy flipped in 1972 when Portland got LaRue Martin. I mean, just all those one of a kind things. And that's what they did. That's better than I could have hoped for, not what I would have loved to have seen. I mean, ultimately, sure, I'd love to see something the size of the Moda Center. Yeah, I was even going back to when when it was the Rose Garden and even when it opened and they have some of these items, but they had a you know display on, on the lower concourse where you could go up and you could see a couple items. They had, you know, TVs playing highlights and you can, you know, put your hand on the ball and then see your hand size compared to like Sabonis or Drexler. And they still have that upstairs. But you know, I'm still walking through there and I'm like, you could just have displays here. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be like your price of admission could be your ticket to the Blazer game. Like th- there's I guess as someone who just appreciates memorabilia and everything, I want more of that. I'm on, I'm in in the same book as you. And unfortunately, and I don't know how to put this politically correctly, but again, we go back to the people who work there. They are employees. That's their job. So this is not directed just at the Blazers because I've worked in front offices of sports teams before. They lack imagination. (laughs) They see it from a business standpoint. They can be super fans and they are, but they have a disconnect with how to relate to the person who's coming to the games and spending that money and loves to see this stuff. When I started working with the Blazers in 2013 on the remodel and the idea of bringing some of these things home, I literally had arguments with one of the vice presidents who just did not see the value of the team history and honestly didn't think people cared. And I mean, I, I've been there. I've been there, Steve. I, I worked it's, for, for five years. And if, if, if you can't put a sponsorship corporate logo on something, it's uh, next in line. So I definitely uh, feel. I, and, and I'm not picking on Portland. Portland management is great. Okay. They really are. I mean, and it's a sports industry. issue. It's, it's an industry. It's a business. And they have that disconnect now that honestly would be so easy to make the crossover. I've offered my services. I don't have that college degree. So what can I know about events and collectibles? And you're starting to see um, vintage shops pop up in Portland. You have Laundry PDX, the, the shop that you worked with um, right. over in the Southeast. Uh, what was the ball? Ball was life. Ball was life, exactly. Yeah, I think there is a desire for this. Not whether whether it's culture, apparel, memorabilia, uh, nostalgia is it's never going to go away. And Portland has the most history back in '77 and in the early '90s. Like that's where we were at our peak. 
we want to get back there, but people have fond memories. You have younger fans who still go back and, you know, they, maybe they weren't alive for, for Rasheed Wallace, but they love what he is for the culture. What Bill Walton did, Maurice Lucas, like even for me, I wasn't alive during the 77 championship, but as I've gotten older, you didn't have to say that. (laughs) YouTube is now there. I can go watch the games. I can feel a part of that blazer mania era. I can pick up pieces from that era, wear the t-shirts, even though I wasn't there, I still feel connected. And I I think they're, they're such a a great opportunity to educate and show all of the the team history because it's so fun looking back eras and seeing how they were different, but similar at the same time. It's fun to do and to compare the collectibles and where things have gone as well. And things tend to run and I've done collectibles literally for 50 years and not just sports, but I deal in antiques and in history items, things run on a 30 year cycle. They always have, and they always will. And the reason for that is you start really being cognizant of what's around you and what's going on about the age I was when Portland came in 10, you know, think before that you don't have a lot of specific memories, you know, but after that, well, now you've got, 10 to 18. And that really forms, if you're a sports fan, I mean, think about that. That's that's it. Those are your teams. You know, the guys who won the championship when you were 12 locked you in. So 30 years from now, how old are you? You're in, you just hit 40 to 50. And your kids just left home and you're in prime spot in your job and that money is fluid. You got a little extra and you know what you're going to go buy. I'll tell you what you're going to go buy. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to go pick up what you had when you were 10 to 18, those prime years of your life. And that's why it runs on that 30 year cycle. So what we're seeing right now is a resurgence of the Kersey Drexler, Williams, Duckworth, Porter. You know, you're starting to see more of that because it's 30 years down the road. That's such a great insight. And I want to talk about two pieces that are behind you about teams that locked me in when I was growing up. It was the early 90s Blazers that got me to my passion with the Blazers. I didn't know those Wheaties boxes ever existed. Do you, can you take a moment to discuss what they are, how you tracked them down, um, and what, what, what significance they, they mean to you? <laughs> well, tracking those down were easy. I found a collector who had both. And the story really behind that is that anytime a team gets now to the finals, I mean, again, it's a business and that's not knocking the league. That's, you know, they got to pay these guys. So they have to have things ready to go. You hit the finals. Trust me. There's a design out there (laughs) that says Miami Heat 2020 NBA champions because they're ready to lock those. They're in the stores the two days after. The hats are in the stores. There's another you can see behind me as well. They're just a little black dot above that book. That's the hat patch from 1990 that says 1990 NBA champions. So that's the hat patch design that you would have run into G.I. Joe's and bought. So whether these are 
le- you know, legit only copies doesn't matter to me. I will, I can tell you the 92, the one on the, the lower of the two, there's lots of copies of that floating around. This is a copy. So somebody did that. The 90, on the other hand, I've only seen a couple. And I've never, that one is signed by all six uh, that are on the, on the box itself. And then rest in peace. Three of those team members are, are gone. And so you, you look at that and it just adds significance to how rare that, that memorabilia you have. It's one of those things that if you don't have it now, you never will. So, and time does that to us with everything. So you look at some of the championship items, you know, we've lost Herm Gilliam and Robin Jones. And now those things, you know, especially Robin, because he had a stroke several years ago. So his signature changed significantly. A lot of items out there because we've done reunions, you know, with his signature after a stroke, very few before. So, you know, those are the little nuances that you watch for. And I've just had to, over time, you know, Draws and Petrovich is another. You know, I have two of his rookie cards that are both signed. I could get hundreds of dollars for each. They're not for sale. They're just, they're not. So, Steve, you've been around since day one, 1970. If you could put four players or people that have influenced the Trailblazers organization, who is your Mount Rushmore? Oh, my gosh. That's who, who threw that question in? I'm no, just, I, I, when, when I knew that, that Sage was working on getting you on the show, these are just questions that are coming. <laughs> That's a good question. Brain. Nobody's ever asked that. You know, everybody asks, who's your favorite? No, no, no. But if you look at the four that shaped the franchise, you have Bill Walton, first and foremost. And, you know, argue all day long, but there's still only one player who was the centerpiece of a championship in Portland. That's it. Mm -hmm. Drexler obviously is there. No argument for the first two. Jeff Petrie is there. And if you weren't around in 1970, Petrie was a stud. You know, I mean, he was co-rookie of the year. Nobody saw that coming. But he and Dave Callens, I mean, he's... Petrie was good for 20, 25, mm-hmm. 30 a night and 50 when he got lit. All right, number four, you know, I'm going to go with Lucas. Because without Lucas, you, you don't have that championship either. He defined the fight that Portland has had ever since then. You're not going to screw with us. Now, I loved Luke. And his family now, I stay in contact with. They're just fabulous people. And that was what he brought, not just to that team, but you think about it. I mean, you, you don't mess with Portland. <laughs> and he's the guy who brought that with Dawkins. Mm-hmm. He just looked at Daryl and said, not on my watch, kid. <laughs> and then he completely threw a mental mind game at oh. him, going up to him in game three and like, oh, yeah, we're cool. And it just threw him off. Threw the whole yep. Philly team off. Yep. Oh, Dawkins, he was ready to come out and mix it up until Luke did that. And Luke was the nicest, gentlest guy you would ever, ever want to meet. 
he was such a different person off the court than he was on the court. Uh, and you just, yeah, <laughs> that's my so, four. Damian Lillard in his eighth season still has hopefully a lot left in the tank, knock on wood. Is he someone that you could see eventually being on your Mount Rushmore? Oh, absolutely. I, I only picked players right now who are not active. <laughs> You're very, that was a very wily veteran move on your part answering that question. When this is all said and done, Damian Lillard will go down as the greatest trailblazer in the history of the team. There's, I, I, there's no argument with that. He's already there. Yeah, he's I mean, just still playing. He's adding to it. Who knows what he'll do? <laughs> and I think I, Sage and I have discussed this a bit because clearly he doesn't have the MVP or the championship. He doesn't have the longevity of Drexler quite yet. But when you factor in how dynamic he is on the court and how loyal and vocal he is about his support of Portland. Okay, we're small time in Portland. We don't have superstars that stay here and support us like we support them and come out and really reciprocate the love. That plays a huge role in how you are viewed during your playing days and after your playing days. I mean, you take a look at a guy like Brian Grant. He played like three seasons here, but he is absolutely beloved for how hard he played and the kind words that he has to say after the fact. So that just goes a long way. And nobody, I think, does it better than Dame. Yeah. Well, and, you know, guys, they gave you my handle on, Bla- on Twitter. Blazer Collector beat me up championship is having that ring is not an indicator of whether or not you belong in the hall or you're the greatest. There are dozens of fabulous players that never got a ring. Mm -hmm. in, In this day and age with the free agency and the player movement, it's cheapened it. I mean, you don't have those teams that came together like the Blazers did in 73 74 we brought walton in you know we got him with wicks and petrie and we had a great the chemistry wasn't and it took four years to get there and it took jettisoning jeff petrie and sydney wicks to do it the two biggest stars the blazers had and they got lucas back fair trade (laughs) all day but you don't have that anymore now everybody gets to the end of the season and we're looking at free agency and who's available and who fits now with this guy. And look at here, we got a big three. Mm-hmm. Let's rock, kids. It's a different way of roster construction now than it was back in the Yeah, evening. and I'm not saying it's wrong. It's yes, just, I am. It's just the nature <laughs> of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, so you, have, you can go get a ring and then you've got the other guys who are – 10th, 11th, 12th on the bench. And as important as they are, they're locking in the same reason. Where can I win a ring? So I've, you, you can't count that as a main factor anymore. And I don't know that you ever could. You know, a championship is a championship. And at the end of the day, there are only 12 to 15 players in the league all year long that come home with that. Mm-hmm. That's One it. 30 teams. And that's it. It takes the rest of you guys are losers. Come on. (laughs) Steve, one thing. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I just don't think that's a fair indicator. You look at the entire career and 
you know, Damien, we'll, we'll pick on Damien because that's a darn good example. You know, he came in here, he literally, who's he? You know, and he came in and he said, I'm going to do this. You know, just, just watch. <laughs> and you see him grow and you see how he, I mean, just took over when LaMarcus was here. And it's grown from there and how even the veterans look now to him. I mean, he owns this town. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and he will. That That's just going to be the, when it's all said and done, you know, he will. He'll have a legacy in this town that's going to be real, real, real hard to beat. Steve, one thing that I have picked up doing quite a bit of research, you know, whether pre-pandemic going to PALS and picking up any old Blazer book that I can, you know, I've read... Uh, us against the world, the long, hot winter. And you, you see these, you know, the internet wasn't back then in the, in the early nineties. And a lot of things don't get reported unless you start to, to read and, and to see what are some wild trade rumors that, that what, what's one of the wildest ones that you've heard or can remember that you have seen written down that, that didn't come true, but looking back, you're like, if that happened, you know, dynasty. Like, we can all talk about the bonus coming over, and that, that is something that we all know. But like, I guess what I'm talking about is like Barkley had three teams in in '92 that he was like, I want to go to. It's Portland, it's Los Angeles, or it's Phoenix, and they, they yep. were close. You know, I've heard Kevin Duckworth in one of my books say like, I think I'm getting traded for Akeem Olajuwon. This was in '91. Like those type of things just like blow my mind, and then I start going down these rabbit holes. Of, of what could have been or just just the different possibilities? Well, you're going to think I'm crazy. I don't pay a lot of attention to trade rumors. That's all they are. And maybe it's just the way that I made up, but I tend to look back at those things rather than watch at the time. And so many of them never, ever pan out that they just don't hit my radar. You know, okay, yeah, guess what? There was this one story on nbatravels.org, you know, that talked about, you know, Jordan was coming to Portland and it was for Paxson. And it was, yeah, what? One little outlet, you know, and it never crosses the radar. So I honestly, I don't have any in mind. I tell you all kinds of stuff about, you know, draft picks that people think were wrong, Jordan. <laughs> but, you know, the, I don't even look at trades. I just don't even watch them. <laughs> Man, that, uh, I wish I had that philosophy, but holy shit. I, I see. Well, I, I see. Mean, oh I'll my be, God, I'll I be love this guy. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I, every once in a while, I pop on the tr you know the trade machine online just to have some fun. You would not even want to see my trades. <laughs> Although with an exception, and everybody except Lillard on the roster, we can get LeBron. But, you know, I mean, honestly, anybody can do that. And it's fun to look at, but it's not something for me as a fan that catches my interest. I like to go back and look at, you know, things like, okay, the 72 draft, why didn't we get Bob McAdoo? You know, yeah, I about the, the draft in it kind of tied into where I was going with my question, because I have a, a book about ah. the draft and there was just like tidbits, like 
Portland was really into picking John Stockton. Like we had more than one first round draft pick and, you know, Utah kind of snuck in and took him later in the first, you know, we ended up getting Kersey in the 84 draft as well. So it wasn't just a bust with Bowie. There's <laughs> so many different tidbits that I, I love to research and, and hear about. And it's like, Oh, like I had no idea that our Stu Inman, just a genius. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, we built, had built that 90 and 92 team with small college superstars yep. and just wonderful trades. So, um, yeah, and that's one thing that you, you miss now, I think. And I'm, I'm not, I'm just not sure that this works to the player's advantage anymore. But, you know, you go back to 1970, you had a 20-round draft. <laughs> I, You know, your 20th round pick was a six-foot-two forward from North Elizabeth State. So now you have two rounds. You know, I, I'd almost like to see more, but I get the idea, which means that they really, really need to nurture something along the lines of a G League. And a, a minor league, I, there's just too much talent out there. So that that I think is where we may very well see the next trend is into G League. Well, you look minor. at Miami. I mean, uh, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson were both G League yeah. stars, and you know, if Miami can do it with scouting why can't the Blazers do it with scouting the G league? I mean, they yeah. tried with Jalen Adams. Well, and there's no reason that you can't stock a roster. It's going to cost you money mm-hmm. that, you know, and again, business. And I get that. There's just so much money to go around. That's just a whole different, you know? So I think that's going to be our next transgression. <laughs> I'm going to call it. Because well, they'll get it wrong the first time. The G League now has a roster full of okay ranked players that are, you know, playing, uh, you know, games where they play at a fast pace potentially and put up stats. And maybe that is the future instead of going to the. Well, I think it is, you know, and just the fact that you haven't seen a lot of those players mm-hmm. yet progress on to the NBA. There's a few, you know, every year, but you know, again, how many players are in the league compared to how many move and look at minor league baseball, Mm -hmm. you know, hockey, hockey, little different setup. Again, you build that continuity, but that's one thing I think that may in the long run hurt a lot of sports teams is you don't have that continuity that you had people follow players now, not Mm -hmm. necessarily teams, you know, yesterday's Cavaliers fan is today's Lakers fan deal with it. And they're going to be tomorrow's whoever's fan. (laughs) So you, you tend to lose that continuity with the, the organization itself. So, yeah, I get why spend the money on it. (laughs) Steve, outside of game six of 1977, what would you say is one of your favorite moments as a fan? Oh man. (laughs) Can anybody really pick one? I mean, especially in 50 years, 
you know, you've got Brandon Roy's shot, you've got Lillard's shots. You got, I mean, I can remember the only radio broadcast I specifically remember when I was 11 or 12 years old was literally laying in bed, listening to Sean Lee playing the Bucks. very few seconds left and the Blazers were down and timeout and they're going to inbound. And I'm laying in bed and my heart's ready to fall out of my <laughs> chest. And I don't know if they won, lost, whatever, but I just remember that feeling of laying there. Um, I couldn't ever pick one. I mean, there's just been so many over the years. You know, maybe that's the historian in me. And <laughs> there absolutely has been. And your point about remembering, not remembering whether they won or lost, but still that feeling brings me to, um, you know, one of my favorite memories, and it didn't work out. But when we won the lottery in 07, I remember where I was with my wife and my friend and we just went into a frenzy like the Uh the thought of how this could impact our future for a decade plus and it was almost just like we 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 did it I mean we hadn't won anything we hadn't even selected a player but like (laughs) disregarding for the fact that it didn't work out I will still hold that memory near and dear just because if I can remember the elation that when we saw it happen unfolding right before our eyes yeah, I remember that feeling when the coin flip, oh, different, whole different scenario, but Bill Walton. Mm. I knew then that that was key. Who was number two in that draft? Dustin. Seriously? I would have thought you knew. I don't even know. That's rude. Oh. Well, Dustin's my Blazers encyclopedia. <sighs> So <laughs> I'm more I, I like 90, like 90. And because, you know, I used to know all this stuff. And then I got old Marvin Barnes. He's a badass, but he wouldn't have won us a chip, especially, especially with, uh, yeah, that, how he that in the ABA. Yeah. Well, and you know, he was teammates with Lucas. So how much of that? Well, <laughs> rubbed off in it, St. Louis. Yeah. Well, wasn't, didn't Luke say it's either him or me? And then they traded Luke. <laughs> uh, Luke came over. Let's see. I have to go back and look now. See, I, I used, I used to know every little detail. And then I realized that I ran out of room and I had to start purging. <laughs> <laughs> so the internet's helped me with that because there's been certain things. It's like, I don't need to remember that anymore. <laughs> I can just look it up. Yeah, I mean, those drafts back then, it, it, it was so different than now. And I, I listen to and I see so much of the talk and the arguments about the drafts. And that it's you have to look into the what's and the why's. I People will not believe me, but as I'm going through boxes here, I have an article from 1983 that I saved. That article is talking about why, how about the draft and who each team should pick and why it would be the worst scenario ever if Michael Jordan was left for Portland. I, and I have it. I just, it's in a box. And I, I remembered that when all of this talk, you know, oh, real Portland sure screwed that up. And I thought, wait a minute. That's not what I remember from 1983. (laughs) 
Jordan, obviously, we know how it worked out, and they knew that he would be good. But if you go back and you look at the pre-draft assessments, most of them say something along the lines of he has the potential to be an all-star and have a lengthy career. And that's as far as they went. Yeah, it wasn't really until I believe the draft happened and then it was USA basketball practices. And that's when he really took off and everyone was like, oh. Yeah, I, you know, he, he broke his ankle first year. So you didn't see much. Or second year. But, you yeah, know, second year. he didn't come on until after that. And, you know, Bowie still was the right choice at the time for Portland. You, you've got to go back. They had Drexler a year. They knew he was going to be good. Everybody knew Drexler was going to be good after his rookie year and just watching what he could do even then. And there are articles that address that, that, you know, what would Port, uh, Portland do with Drexler, who's obviously now we know going to be a star, and a Jordan who plays the same position, who's likely to be an all-star? That's not what they need. <laughs> yeah, it definitely uh, switch switched the philosophy to just take the best player available. And oh, yeah, and even then, even then, I'm not sure that Jordan would have, you know, at the time, topped it. And that's what people who can look back, you know, they didn't see those articles in the paper. And good luck finding them now. Didn't Portland lose a coin flip to draft Hakeem? They did. Yeah. I mean, that's, that changes things too. Cause they definitely yeah, that changed everything, you know, back in the day they did the coin flips and, you know, it was on Sunday afternoon between, you know, Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer on the ninth tee. And you'd have the commissioner and the two team presidents and they'd literally flip a 50 cent piece. And one of the teams would call it heads. Oh, it's tails. Boston, you have the first pick. <laughs> I mean, that's how it was done. Like I said, I, that was, I had the actual 50 cent piece that the commissioner flipped in 72 when Portland got LaRue Martin over Bob McAdoo. And again, you know, much controversy, but go back and look. You know, and there's a reason they didn't pick McAdoo. Most, uh, foremost, his agent told Portland, if you draft him, we're going to the ABA. <laughs> that's what happens when there's that secondary, you know, that exactly the NBA. Exactly. You had that you had that uh, opportunity and leverage. Yeah. So, you know, Portland basically cut their losses. You know, the is a good guy, just wrong place. So we've talked about the 77 Blazers, uh, obviously the only championship uh, team in, in, in franchise history, but aside from them, you have, 90, 91, 92, 2000, each of those teams had legit chances at bringing uh, another Larry O'Brien trophy to, to the Rose City. In your opinion, which, which of those teams do you think was either the best or probably had the best chance at winning it? So you can maybe say, I think 92 was best, but we had a better chance than 90. What, what, what of those four teams do you think really had the best shot at bringing home another championship? 2000. <laughs> You know, they didn't even make the finals, but that team would have just rocked. You know, they were loaded. 90 was a surprise. 
You know, it kind of came out of nowhere. You hit Detroit, who was in their prime. There was nobody going to beat Chicago during their run. So 2000 had the best shot at it. Yeah, I, I, I just I cl- watch a lot of old Blazer games on YouTube, especially during the pandemic, uh, kind of takes my mind away from things. And I, I just I'm, I love watching my, my favorite teams uh, play because, you know, I don't really have those games on, on v- VHS or, or anything. So, you know, you look and you start to read. And, you know, when we stole game two in Detroit, Detroit hadn't won in Portland in over, over a decade. Like we were so dominant at home. So, you know, 90 was such a golden opportunity. You look at 91, they, they win 63 games. And yep. obviously we, we knew what happened in, in game one, fourth quarter, and, and obviously in game six, but 2000, I mean, that was the one I was it. most cognizant. And I was, you know, was yep. high school talking to my dad during the fourth quarter. Can we somehow get finals tickets? Like, oh, that, that, that just, and they were like Indiana beat That's, us 2-0 in the regular season. But again, regular season, like everyone said, Portland, Los Angeles, this is the finals. Yep. And they were loaded. Bonzi Wells, Jermaine O'Neal on the bench. Um, just stacked. I mean, just one of the best defensive teams, I, I think, in franchise history. Just so smart and well well constructed. I mean, it's it's yeah. a shame that you know Bonzi and Rashid have their own podcast. Pippen has right. said in, in in previous interviews, why didn't they just keep it together? Like they wanted to run it back. Like they didn't feel like that loss in Game Seven was the straw that broke their back. Like they wanted to like let's go again. Like we want to rematch. That's kind of what's almost more upsetting th- than losing that fourth quarter was like we yeah. didn't get to see what what could have happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, how do you, if, if you've been a fan all that time, and this is just no disrespect to anybody in particular, but that whole jailblazers thing killed that team, you know, and not on the court, but the community. And that, is the other side of the small town, you know, Portland loves the Blazers, but they reached that line. And I think, you know, a lot of the players recognize that it's not that that was done with any malice or any hate. It's not like we hate, you know, these players. There's only one that we question and that's Raymond Felton. And we all know why. So (laughs) I'm kidding. That sped it up. It really accelerated that disassembly because when they didn't win, that was the only thing that the community would have taken over them being on the front page of the Oregonian every third day. You know, it just got to that point. And people said, we're not. We're not anymore. This isn't who we are. What team provided you the most joy in watching out of all of the the teams that uh, have oh, played? Championship. It's and it's not it's not just not even close because if you go back and you watch those games and you watch the whole games, that's basketball. I don't play it. It's just you know for lack of or you know not to group everything together, but motion offenses. 
they are not one one you know all right so we've got you know lebron's isolated you know everybody you look at bobby gross that championship year he never stopped Mm -hmm. one side to the other and you know setting the screens and you know that entire just the team and for years and years and years so many people would point back to that 76 77 portland team and say that right there watch it because that is the best team basketball you'll ever see played and that's what they were. They were just a unit that everybody knew everybody's strengths and limitations. And they played to it. You know, Portland wouldn't have won the finals had Bobby Gross not just worn Julius Irving to a mm-hmm. nub. <laughs> you know? I mean, that, that Sixers team had some talent, too. Again, yeah, Lucas McGinnis, my God. Mm-hmm. Tell me two, two tougher guys in the league right now that you'd want to see go head-to-head. No, there were just little things. It was all the little extras, you know, and you can't ever, of course, Lucas's, you know, stand up and fight. And then the gesture right down to, you say, Bobby Gross, just doing nothing more than running circles on the floor. You know, it's just a, a fantastic team to watch. These guys now are fun. You know, I mean, I I wonder now how much this will affect the game that we'll see in the future. And the reason I say that is I was in the gym a while back and there was a team having practice. So I was standing there watching, talking to the coach. And these were 11, 12-year-old kids. I watched the entire practice. There was not one shot taken inside the three-point line. Not one for the entire practice. The ball went up. If it was rebounded, it was immediately thrown back out. (laughs) And I just kind of looked at the coach and I said, really? She said, well, yeah. (laughs) This is what the kids play now. You know, I mean, I grew up in a different time where, you know, Center made a difference, and you know, center's used for nothing more than spacing now. Well, all it takes is one team to break the mold, and we saw that with Golden State. They're shooting, they were a jump shooting team, and Barkley for every year said jump shooting teams can't win a championship. Well, they blew that theory completely out of whack, and now everyone's trying to replicate it. But what they don't understand is not everyone has a Draymond Green that is a defensive player of the year, that is a facilitator, a decision maker, an entirely intelligent big that can make that work. You can't play small ball without a Draymond. So I all, I think sports goes in cycles. Right now we're seeing a three-point three point wave. Um, it's it's all going to come back, and it's all going to go back to the three-point. Like, it's it's just it's, – it's a cycle, and I think – Don't once, get me wrong. I mean – Damien's going to come over and launch a 38 footer and hit it. Well, I wouldn't tell him. No, I mean, you know, you know, to Dame's credit, he really had to add that to his arsenal because new Orleans was such a tough defense where they were trapping him even a foot outside of the three point line. Now he's like, I've got to go quicker. We saw in the bubble, Brooklyn was doubling him in the back court. So he has to shoot from that distance. I mean, if you don't get talent around your superstar and you're saying, okay, put the team on your back, 
he's like, okay, these shots are a little more difficult, but this is what I have to do. Oh, this, it, what, you know, what, what he can do for somebody I played for a long time. That's a long way out there. You know, you're yeah. watching it on TV and you see these guys shooting threes. I challenge you to go down the Moda, stand behind that line and see how close you get. Cause I've done it. And then you put the added, you know, yeah, well, guess what? We got him trapped now. <laughs> now there's two guys on him. Now what are you going to do? And that's talent. <laughs> now, I'm not saying I won't watch it because I do and I yell and I, you know, that that is a talent. You know, but that's what we're going to see more of because that's what the kids are learning. I grew up in the dunk era. I mean, just plain and simple. I grew up in the dunk era with Dr. J and you know, uh, Dominique. Oh, jeez, we had fun. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, what I what I do appreciate about this this current generation is there's no more of if if you can't be an offensive threat, you're, you're not on the floor. Like players, yeah. even big players coming in, can you shoot? Can you dribble? Can you pass? So I do think in a way it is making players more well-rounded like you're you're seeing i mean if you would have told me that brooke lopez was going to be that much of a marksman <laughs> when he came into the league from stanford i mean he was a beast on the block he had great yeah. post but he is just shooting it with with effortless ease from a okay. long way away so like you are seeing i think the the nba has never had more talent and no <laughs> it's just incredible how yeah. well these players are are their, their skills it is so we're going to get to a point where the NBA is going to say, we either need to extend the line or we need to extend the court because you have like, uh, like let's be honest. Giannis is not going to be the only Giannis. We're going to see more and more quote unquote Greek freaks come through the system. And it's the, that's why they're professionals. They are the cream of the absolute crop. And you know, we kind of get to sit back and watch. So. Um, well, and that's true. The evolution of the athlete themselves you know, obviously, when you go back to the 70s, you know, and Chicago Bulls, your center was Tom Borwinkle. He didn't quite strike the fear into everybody, you know, because they knew that he'd get down the court every other play. Now you look at these guys that are 7-2 leading a break. <laughs> like, yeah, this game's changed, you know, mm -hmm. but all sports have changed. Yep. The static sports, you don't notice it as much. And by static, I mean baseball. You know, you look at a player back in the day like Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, compare him to what they are now. There's not leaps and bounds of difference between these guys like I mean, there is in the motion Mays. sports. You know, oh, basket catches over his head. Like he yeah. was still, they're still yeah. doing it now. It's like that, not that game, you know, still holds up now. 60 years later because you don't have that motion the motion and the the agility is what changes everything yeah it's much easier to compare errors in baseball than yeah. in basketball or football yeah. yeah if you look at basketball you know and you go back to your big shooters back then in 1954 and everybody's laughing because this guy's standing at the free throw line extended with one arm <laughs> <laughs> and there's nobody near him. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, it, 
this game, I can't even imagine where it will be even 10 years from now. I think the youth coaches need to just like every, you have to treat everybody like they're a point guard because everybody (laughs) needs to have these skills. Like, Oh, absolutely. Everybody should have that chance, you know, and that's what youth sports should be about. I, for my playing and I wasn't anything special, you know, I couldn't even make my high school team, but that's a whole different story. I made college team. And I always point back to the one coach. I, I could jump. There was the one thing I could do. So I always ended up playing forward and I was five ten. <laughs> even in college, I played forward at five ten, but I could jump, but we had a practice game. And our coach at the time, in his very, very first year of coaching, he was a graduate assistant, was Mike Tebow, who's now the coach of the Washington Mystics and the most winningest coach in WNBA history. Little Mike, back then, during this practice game, looked at me and he said, I want you to try something different. Play point guard or play shooting guard. I went off for 66 points in this practice game. And it changed my entire outlook on the game. I never went back and really played forward. You know, and it was all because Mike, <laughs> you know, and I say I played a little semi-pro leagues until I was in my 30s and blew my knee out a second time. But Mike was the guy who did that. He was, yeah, it's a practice game. Go for it. Just have fun. <laughs> I mean, basketball's supposed to be fun. Yeah. And that was in college, you Mm -hmm. know, college freshman up at St. Martin's. And we were just such a, Michael tell you, we were a horrible team. I don't think we won an inner squad scrimmage, but we had fun. You know, it was the first year of a JV team at the college. Our center was six, two. That's why I was a forward at six, uh, five, 10. We got annihilated every night, but we had fun and we learned. So yeah, that's what the youth Honestly, that's what I'd love to see is the opportunity to try these different things. All right. They, get, they get locked in, man. <laughs> we have uh, some really good fan questions from someone we, we both follow. Uh, PDX Graffin, another member of the memorabilia community. He has uh, four questions, so I'll read them off. <laughs> we'll, go one, we'll go one by one. Uh, first off, what is the most rare item in your collection? <sighs> I have a couple. Um, the most rare at this point, and I'll pick this right now just because something popped up the other day, but I have a desk clock that's engraved on the top. Harry Glickman, Portland Trailblazers, first season, 1970-71. Well, this is cool. This was Harry's desk clock. About two weeks ago, friend of mine sent me a message and he says, Hey, and he, he and I are mutual friends of Bill Shawnley. And he said, what can you tell me about this? And he sent me pictures of a clock that said <laughs> Bill Shawnley, Portland trailblazers first season. I said, what I can tell you now is we know there's more than one. <laughs> so that would be one very rare item that's here. You know about the one that, we just sent back. Um, that was the rarest. 
Uh, I have Lenny Wilkins one page coaching contract extension here that's signed by Lenny and Harry that would have extended him through the year after the championship. So that's a rare item. I have a billboard, a little, like a salesman sample billboard from the first year that's on the desk, kind of in the corner behind me. <laughs> that's, it, it just, blazer one over there. I have a copy of the championship ring that was given to me by the Lucas family. <sighs> I know why he wants to know. <laughs> it, it just goes on and on and on. But, you know, the pendant, obviously, we know about, and that was the rarest. Uh, quickly, for our listeners who may have not known the story, can you quickly uh, discuss this this pendant that you've been referencing? Sure. Uh, about now, 11 years ago. As I was collecting, I was always watching for trailblazer items, and somebody offered up a championship pendant. Players, when they win the championship, players get rings, and of course, that's always celebrated, and people know that. What they don't know is that a lot of the teams will also do things for the wives of the players. Of course, executives are not just male in the offices, nor our coaching staffs or draining staffs either. In 77, Portland had a pendant made up for the wives and some of the office staff. They were made at Carl Grieve. They were about the size of a quarter and had the same info as the ring. Portland Trailblazers, 1977 NBA World Champions, nice enameled logo with a diamond right in the center. So I negotiated with this guy for a month, finally reached a price. We went and picked it up, picked it up in the parking lot at Clackamas Town Center because I'm telling you, you know, you never know where these things are coming from. But this one was special and there was a name engraved on the back. So I was going to a trailblazer function the next day. So I took it with me and I sat down with Harry Glickman and I said, I just picked this up. We looked at the name on the back. It said Betty. And I, I had known from my research that there had been a Betty in the ticket office. And I thought that I'd remembered that Herm Gilliam's wife was named Betty, but I could never really find any confirmation. And Harry, you know, bless his heart, he couldn't remember off the top of his head either. So I went through, you know, tried to get a hold of Carl Grieve. We were trying to get the original paperwork out of the warehouse when they went out of business. And I just sat it back up on the shelf with everything else. And it's been a, just a cornerstone of the championship piece of the collection ever since. And I will post it from time to time just so people can see it on social media, be it Twitter, Facebook. So here a few weeks ago, it popped up on my Facebook feed. And I'm not on Facebook much anymore, people. So if you find me there, go ahead and send a friend request, but I'm not there much. And I thought, well, that'd be cool to share. It was a Friday night. So I shared it on Twitter. And 
one of the things that we do on my Twitter page, we, of course, sell memorabilia to people who are looking for it. But I like to give things away if I have a lot of them or just for fun. So I ask people, you know, to guess what player they thought it was associated with without giving the name out. And we do a giveaway of some type. So I'm sitting there just watching my feed. People are commenting, you know, Dave Twardzik, Larry Steele, Maurice Lucas, Corky Calhoun. I'm like, nope, nope, closer, closer. And this one comment just pops up and it says, that's a great piece of Blazer history. And I looked at the person that posted it, and its last name was Gilliam. <laughs> and I thought, oh, what, oh, what are the chances? So I real quickly messaged him. And I just said, hey, thanks. You know, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, are you related to Herm? And he says, yeah, Herm was my dad. Herm was my pops. And so I said, okay, this is going to seem <laughs> strange. Can I ask you a personal question? Of course. And I said, what's your mother's name? And I sat there, I'm looking at my phone and I'm looking at Kim and I said, this is it. <laughs> sure enough, that little bling and I looked down, Betty. And I said, young man, this is your mom's pendant. And we got to talking and we talked all night and just reminisced. Uh, he was born the championship year. So he remembers as a youngster seeing it, something like it in the house. Um, but, you know, no specific recollection of it. But he had mentioned to me that, geez, I'd seen you posted a few times, you know, and I always you know, thought, God, that looks like mom's. So I said, well, do me a favor. <laughs> so next morning, I was sitting here and I get a message from Rick. And he says, yeah, I talked to my mom. <laughs> says, um, she hasn't seen hers. It was lost or stolen in a move like 1984-ish. And that just started ball going. I said, my God. <laughs> This is your mom's pendant. I said, I'm sending it home. You know, I want to give it back to your mom. And so we got together on it, um, got all addresses. We made kind of a big production of it going out the door. Uh, <laughs> it was fun to do. If you want to see it, it's on the Twitter feed. And the, the end result was uh, here the other night, Rick, texted me a picture of his mom, the biggest, most beautiful smile on her face. You see what it does to me now? I mean, it just, that was it. That was just it. I, I for a collector, so deeply invested with a team and not just a team, but that team. To be that guy that said, <sighs> here because i know this is special to you i i mean it, it just the emotions and i mean now we're good friends <laughs> you know now i talk to his son and we're sending pictures back and forth and you know i kind of feel like in some respects i'm becoming 
these players, kids, crazy uncle. You know, I, I talked to Rick. I talked to Maurice Lucas's son. It, it just, wow, 60 now. And to think back to when I was 10 and all I ever wanted to do was, you know, see a trailblazer jersey with my name on it. And to look 50 years down the road with the franchise and see how that's come around. And now to be able to take these things, I've given back things to the team, to the players, to the families. That to me is what it's all about. When it's you talk the about the, the 30 year cycle and you've got children of the championship team now wanting to bring back memories from their family, whether they're still alive or if they've passed and you're kind of there to bridge that gap and say, I have some of these things or I can help you put point you in the right direction. So it's, it's a really neat feeling to be able to kind of like, like I said, bridge that gap and be able to help track down things like things weren't mass produced like they are now. So no. And you know, in the case of the pandemic, that was so personal, was so personal. There's absolutely no way I could keep it ever, 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 ever. That's Betty's pendant. <laughs> you know, and I, I told her, I've just been the caretaker for 11 years. You know, I kept it safe until I found you. <laughs> and we've looked. I mean, that's the way I approached it, because items like that, you know, I said I had the shorts that. Luke wore championship year. And his son knew that. I had a jersey that the team had given him. You know, those went back to the family. Those aren't mine. (laughs) You know, the friendships now, the ability to share with people is fabulous. To have something like that happen is the icing on the cake. Especially for me. (laughs) <laughs> what is the the hardest you've had to work to track down a signature oh i'm still working on some there's about a dozen that i don't have um some of these guys were here and gone so fast uh, the hardest one that i'm having to find right now carmelo anthony hmm. are you listening <laughs> only because <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you, mom and dad. I'm cheap. And I can go online, which is now what I usually do. I don't bother the players or the team for anything. I never have and I never will because I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I'm not that guy that when they see me, they go running. I've known that guy. So I'm very specific in how I do my autographs. I prefer autograph trading cards. They store easily. So I have kind of a three-tiered process. Ideally, I will get that player pictured as a Portland Trailblazer. If that's not possible, I will get that player pictured in a college uniform. (laughs) Last but not least, I will take an opposing team's uniform but i'm not ever happy and i won't ever stop looking so for that reason i'm kind of limited on carmelo items right now 
I have to get his rookie year Syracuse, which runs about 100, 120 bucks. <clears throat> and I'm not there. <laughs> so that that's more for me what makes it tough. They're out there. And my original quest, I was collecting everybody. And I literally mean draft picks training camp invitees, summer league. Now those were tough because if, if you have never tried to track down an autograph of the 17th round draft pick in 1970, you've never lived. <laughs> so, uh, you know, those were the hardest ones. And I do have some like that, that just, came out of nowhere. Somebody thought to have them sign something. Those, you know, now I've, I've scaled back. I can't do that anymore. There's just way too many out there with summer league and, you know, so now I only collect the regular season, but we have all but about a dozen of those. So I'm closing in. What is uh, your Holy Grail item that you would never get rid of in your collection? If I had it or the one thing I have now that I wouldn't Both. get rid of. Both. Oh, the one thing if I had, I'm the same as a lot of people, would be the jersey that Bill Walton threw into the stands after the championship game. That's the pinnacle of collecting. Um, I knew for a long time where that was and I've lost track of it. What I have that I would not get rid of is along the same lines. Number First and foremost is the jersey behind me with my name and number. It's the one thing I wanted when I was 10. It took me 40 years to get it. Nobody else wants it. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, that piece just, it just verified everything that I had done at that point, because that, that was given to me by Larry Miller on the Rose Garden floor at the charity event. And they surprised me. And these are the things when I talk about the little detail things that, you know, you just don't see teams do, but the management at the time found out when uh, they had done a, feature on the collection on Blazer Cable that you can see on YouTube in 2009. Well, they mentioned in that, that, you know, a, a quest for my own Jersey. Well, the team took that and ran. So we had the charity event. They had me bring up all the game worn items. They put them on display. First time I'd ever seen that I was overwhelmed. And they came and got me and said, we need you to come back here, you know, with us and sign some papers for insurance purposes. Oh, sure. I mean, I've got, you know, we're taking pictures of me. Come on, get a picture. This is as close as I'm going to get to a Blazer contract. And they've got pictures of me signing it. And this bag hit the desk in front of me or the table in front of me. And I looked up and Larry Miller was there. And he just looked at me with that big grin and he says, we heard the story. We know why you've done this. And he just pulls this jersey out of the bag and he says, we want to give you this. Welcome to the family. That's 
50 years old, I damn near broke down in tears. <laughs> so to have that now, and it, it just, like I said, it, it, it just really verified everything I had done that, yes, indeed, I set out on this little quest with a sticker that just evolved to all the cards I could buy, that evolved to, oh, look what's over here on the internet, that evolved to maybe someday the team, to this. Here we are. And so ever since then, you know, when the team has special events, things like that, they'll often get a hold of me, ask if I have items. Um, the 50th anniversary press conference that they held beginning of last season. <laughs> The five jerseys they had to represent the eras all came from me. So, and they own them all now. They're in the team's hands, which was really most important to me. Um, to bring all this home over all the years, you know, I prefer that it, it stay home or with good, hard fans. You know, Yes, I've let things go to people who I knew were going to resell it, but those weren't prime, prime items either. <laughs> so, yeah, the jersey for me wouldn't go. Uh, there's other items, you know, as I'm scaling down, I have, you see the poster behind me. That's from 1970, the first year. Just extremely, extremely rare that was finally taken out of its original plastic tube last week and framed. <laughs> so there's always things like that. Uh, his, his last question, who is your least favorite team? Who is the rival for you? Oh, Blazers. Absolutely. No, there's, there's no, yeah, no, no. If you're a Blazer fan, you cannot like the Lakers. You can't. It's a rule. <laughs> That it's like number three in the handbook, <laughs> you know, and it, it goes all the way back to the days of Wilt Chamberlain and Jerry West. And uh, no, <laughs> no. I think no. that's what makes the 77 run so sweet is it went through Los Angeles. It was a oh, clean sweep. I got to tell you that I was a cheeky 17 year old kid when that happened. And our family vacation that year was down in Los Angeles. We were taking my younger brother. He wanted to go to Disneyland. So I'm a 17 year old kid. My Blazers just won the championship and we're loading the car up to go to LA. Yeah, I took every Trailblazer t-shirt I had. <laughs> so we get to, yeah, you know, <laughs> we get to Disneyland and we're staying at the hotel there in Anaheim, right across from Disneyland and right next door is the Anaheim Convention Center. And on the big reader board, it says, tonight, Orange County Stars Volleyball featuring Wilt Chamberlain. And I said, this I got to see. <laughs> so that night, come around, I start walking across the parking lot, going up the ticket office, and I hear this, Hey, wrong shirt. And I mean, I froze and I spun around and there's seven feet of Wilt Chamberlain grinning at me. Holy moly. <laughs> He's got, he was getting out of his car. I, I mean, I was just stunned. He's laughing. I mean, scared me to death. He's laughing about it. You know, I mean, it's my one 
real close out of the blazer realm claim to fame. I was so stunned I didn't even have him sign anything. But that night I did buy an Orange County Stars volleyball shirt and I wore it for years. It's, That's awesome. They, they were my team, but man, scared me to death. <laughs> Wilt is right, not Steve. one you want to mess with for sure. <laughs> I actually have a question. <laughs> okay. If you are a Blazer fan that doesn't have any collectibles, what would you suggest they start with? Start with what you like. That It's the basic rule of collecting. Start with what you like. And it doesn't matter what it is mm. because there's enough things out there. So if you like trading cards, do trading cards. Don't, too many people get into it now and they're trying to think, you know, all right, what's going to be worth money 10 years from now? You know, don't do that because I've done this for 50 years and you're going to end up disappointed. Collect what you like. If the bottom falls out of the market and it will, you've got stuff you still like looking at. First, and I mean, that's it. They're the collectibles. They're out there everywhere. But first rule and only rule, collect what you like. I think that's a perfect way to end off. Um, <laughs> Nobody does this wrong. Trust me. <laughs> I, I I echo Sage Sage's comment. That's that's a great way. That's a great mantra that I live by. I've got a t- <laughs> kind of stuff that probably not maybe not worth a whole lot. Worth a whole lot here. So yep. my other mantra like. is. If I have one, I probably have six. So feel free to buy it from me and fuel my retirement. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Steve, uh, one, one final thing before we, we wrap things up. You did a major sale right before <laughs> Memorial Day, which sparked my my interest in getting rid of some of my things that I didn't have room for. And uh, we, you also sparked my, my interest in donating the proceeds to a local uh, cat shelter. So thank you for, for that as well. Uh, can, can the fans expect another one of these, you know, maybe a pre-holiday sale? <laughs> like what, when, like there, I know there's uh, Blazer fans out there kind of uh, salivating to be able to get, get some of this material. Well, I'm glad you asked that <laughs> actually. Uh, the sale that we did that you mentioned, yes, we uh, did a poster sale and we sold, geez, hundreds of posters going back to the early, early years, generated a donation to Salem Friends of Felines here in town of $850. I can't thank everybody enough for that. We are going to be doing an autograph sale. Um, I'm working on it literally as we speak. I took a break from cataloging items to do this today. I'm at, I'm 80% done. So depending on when you when this airs <laughs> tomorrow it, beautiful yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> because i plan on starting this monday and it's something that will go on um i'll have autographs i can't tell you how many yet uh autographed cards photos index cards tickets programs uh all kinds of things that will be Selling again to benefit charity. So the best I can say is get on Blazer Collector on Twitter. 
hit that follow. I generally will follow you back unless I miss you. And it does happen, but eventually I'll catch up with you. We have a ton of fun. Like I say, these items now, I've done my job for Blazer family. I collected them. I got what needed to be got back to the team, to the families, to the players. I'm precariously perching on the line between hoarder and collector now. <laughs> so it's time to find things, new homes. And w- when that becomes live, we'll post it on the Holy Backboard Twitter as well. Well, just so everybody knows, if this if this is airing Monday, I'm planning on starting with some items that I have several of each. So there's no big rush on the first items, but we're going to hit Saturday and most likely have an auction of the one of a kind items or just one off items. So that's what to look forward to. I can't wait. And Blazer fans, to make sure you see when those drop, again, follow Blazer Collector on Twitter. I actually have you on post notifications. So (laughs) when those items were coming, I I just loved going back and reminiscing like, I remember that or this is incredible. Um, Again, totally worth your time. It is an awesome follow. Awesome that you're doing this for charity as well. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, Dustin Sage, this has been a kick. I enjoy talking to you guys online, as I do everybody. I'm not going to run from you. Uh, I've got a few questions to answer already, I see, about collectibles, which is cool. Mm. You know, just from the post earlier, I'll do my best to help you out uh, because that's what we all need to do is just work together. You know, nobody's better collector than the other guy. I'm the same as you guys. I just ended up with a ton of it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is the Holy Backboard. We will be back very soon to talk about the the week of the 16th through the 20th. It's trade season, free agency, (laughs) and the draft all in one week. So you're going to be hearing a lot from us. And last thing, draft Desmond Bain. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.